here, um, summer of 22, uh, your pastor in this church flew in, me and my wife up here to preach a Sunday for him, and we also, during that same week, celebrated our anniversary, and so we stayed some extra days, and uh, that was made possible because of this church and your generosity. I, I, I wanted to let you know that I haven't forgot that, and I'm thankful for that and appreciate it. Right after we uh, got back to Indiana, I began to have, uh, during even the trip, I was having some symptoms of something going on that I wasn't sure, and many of you in this church have gone through something very similar in your family or perhaps personally. But, uh, you know, us guys, it's hard for us uh, to admit that there's something wrong. And, you know, you just want to keep pushing it off and say, well, you know, it's, I must have done this or I must have done that. Matter of fact, uh, someone sent me something on my phone, and uh, there were, I guess they had a campaign across America where they put up billboards, and it says, most men will die of stubbornness. And uh, some guy had gotten up there with red spray paint and put, no, he won't. And so... Uh, there you go. I think he pr they probably proved it, but uh, the reason I'm talking a little bit about this is because of what we're going to preach on tonight. Um, I don't talk a lot about my health because I know that there's a lot of people that are facing things similar and, and many times worse than what we've gone through, but uh, I'm going to have you go to Mark chapter number two because when we got home in Indiana, to Indiana, I went to the doctor and I explained some of the symptoms and some of the things going on. He said, well, let's get you a CAT scan. So he scheduled it, and I drove over to do the CAT scan right away. And then when you leave the place to, that you had the CAT scan, and you're 10 minutes out of town heading home, and your phone rings, and the doctor says, where are you? Well, I'm about 10 minutes out of Terre Haute. Well, I need you to turn around and come back. That's not usually because he's just dying to tell you good news, okay? And I was diagnosed with lymphoma. And uh, we've been fighting that uh, for about a year now, and uh, nine different uh, chemo treatments, and then um, 25 different radiation treatments. And then last summer, we went through something called CAR-T, a fairly new procedure. It's really kind of interesting. They um, take six hours for them to have a tube in this arm and a tube in this arm. It's almost like a dialysis machine, and it, it, it takes out certain types of white blood cells. And then there's... A Carry a, car a courier waiting outside the door, and they take your blood and take it to the airport, and they put it on a plane, and they fly it to Salt Lake City. And I guess the best way to explain it, they explained to me, was they take my white blood cells and they weaponize them so that they can re-inject them in me and um, the, to fight the cancer. And so we've been about three months into that. It takes about six months for them to do what they're going to do. So I'm in a holding pattern right now. And uh, my strength is good. I, I, I tell everybody I'm about 75, 80% of where I normally am. And I was able to have the strength and stamina because of the prayers of God's people and God's grace to go up and spend that time with Brother Israel. Had a wonderful time. Wonderful time. Thank you for being his sin in church. I'm going to tell you what, that is a, that is a top-notch missionary family. And you know this. You know it better than I do. But they are serving in a very dark and difficult place. And yet God is, God is working. And uh, Wednesday night while I was there, he wanted me to preach a charge to Jubal, his son, and two of the Yupik uh, young men that uh, had surrendered to preach. And uh, so that's, you know, you know the formula. That's what we've got to do is we've got to win 
those people in that tribe to then reach their own people for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'll know more in November. They'll do another Pat Stan at the end of six months, and we'll give you your preacher an update. But how humbling it is to open your prayer bulletin and see my name there. Thank you, church, for praying for me, and thank you, Pastor. I appreciate that. I know there's a lot of people across the country that are facing a lot of things, and, and you, you've been very kind. In Mark chapter 2, verse number 1, let me get there. Mark chapter 2 and verse number 1, we read this. The Bible says, and again he entered into Capernaum, and he, of course, is Jesus, after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, and so much that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one stick of palsy, which was, and notice, if you will, the last three words in verse number three, born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of palsy lay. And Jesus saw their faith, and he said unto the sick of palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Um, tonight I want to... I want to talk to you a little bit about the man that's laying on the bed there, the palsied man. There's going to be times in your life when you cannot help yourself. And uh, I'm kind of preaching from the overflow of my life. I was told by an old preacher 25 years ago, the best sermons come from the overflow of your life. And, um, you know, for 60 years, preacher... I, 61 years, I really had extraordinarily good health, you know, I mean, probably unusually good health. I'd go to the doctor, are you allergic to anything? No. Are you on any medications? No, 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 no. And they just look at me like, surely at your age you've got to be on something. There's something got to be going on. There's something got to, and, and there wasn't. And then all of a sudden we get this diagnosis. And, you know, I've spent my life, you think about it, I've spent my life of being one of the four that carried the bed. And that's kind of part of ministry. That's the ministry mindset, you know. That's the way my mom and dad raised me. Um, you know, I would rather be one of the four than the one laying on the bed of affliction, you know. I would rather lend my strength than to need the strength of others. My prayer of preference is this, Lord, let me spend my life carrying the bed of someone else's affliction, uh, than to find myself lying in that bed. You know, I'd, you know, I'll just tell you that I was raised in a preacher's home. We were just, you know, trained. I'd rather serve than be served. I'd rather assist than need assistance. I'd rather comfort than need comfort. I'd rather spend my life helping others than feel like I'm being a burden that someone else has, has to carry. But um, tonight we read a story of a man who finds himself in, in this exact situation. By the way, we don't know the specifics of his ailment. And, and by the way, I think that's on purpose. Sometimes the, God's vague about a person and vague about his circumstance because I think he wants us to be able to put ourselves in that same situation. So what do we know? He was one, here's the phrase, sick of the palsy. The term palsy simply means that he was paralyzed or enfeebled. Uh, you know, why did this happen? No specifics. Did he have an accident? I don't know. You know, could have, he been stricken down with a disease or some sickness has stolen his health and vitality? Again, we don't know, and I think maybe it's on purpose. Maybe God wants us to be able to understand that, you know what, 
we can relate to this, and, and, and he needed help. Think about that. He just got to that place where he needed some help. He needed four friends that had the strength, think about this, the compassion and the concern and was willing to take the time to help uh, the one that was in need. And, um, you know, again, for the first time in my life, I found myself in that situation. Um, I want to say this. I am glad that God in his wisdom allows me, has allowed me to experience the blessing of being born by four. You know, that means more to me now than it did previous to this. I'm able to stand before you to preach tonight, not because, you know, my strength or my willpower, you know, but it's because of four. It's because over the last several months I've been born of four, and I want you to meet these four helpers tonight. I, you say, preacher, their names aren't given. Well, I'm going to give them names, Okay. Because when you go through something like this, you're going to find out that, you know what, thank God that he always sends the things and the people that you need the most to help carry you through. And so let me introduce them. Number one, preacher, how did you get, how have you gotten through the last year? Number one, the first one that showed up to grab a corner of the bed was the grace of God. And let me just remind you what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, unless I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness, most gladly therefore will I come. Rather, glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And I just want you to take my circumstance and substitute your circumstance. You know, it's not always a physical thing that puts us on the bed in need. Sometimes it's an emotional. Sometimes it's a spiritual attack of the devil. I promise you this. There's probably not anybody in this room that doesn't carry a burden and isn't facing something. And from time to time, we just need help. We just need help. And that's when the grace of God shows up. You know, our heavenly, loving Heavenly Father has never sent one of His children into a valley alone. He, he walks with you through the valley. God has promised He'd never forsake His own. One of the things you learn about grace, and I've learned about grace, that when you're going through great trials is this. You know, God's grace is supplied in accordance to your need. And we sing day by day tonight, and that one little phrase is, that's in there, you know, talking about our strength being given as we need it day by day. And God's grace is given in response to our particular needs. Some of you are sitting out there thinking, well, man alive, I, I, don't, I don't think I could do, with, uh, do the cancer thing. I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do that. I don't have the grace to do it. You know why you don't have the grace to do it? Because you don't need the grace to do it. I've watched other people go through it. By the way, if you did have to face it, God would give you the grace to get through it. You know, as you pastor, you watch your people go through a lot of things. You know, I had a lady in our church just a few months ago. She lost her mom and then uh, buried her mother. And within three months, her dad passed away. You know, it's hard losing a parent. It's difficult. I lost my dad 11 years ago and then... Lost my mom just two years ago, but you know, there was a distance of time. But here, 
this, this sweet lady loses her mom and dad three months apart, and you say, preacher, I couldn't do that. And, and she didn't think she could do it. But guess what? God's grace showed up. God's grace showed up. And you watch people go through different things. Bud Bovenshin leads the choir at Blessed Oak Baptist Church. One of the happiest spirits you'll ever meet. Happiest souls. And uh, just trains our, our choir. And, and I love our choir. And, uh, they're, they're dynamic. I, I love them. And, uh, and his, his whole life is, is about that. It's, it's one of the things that keeps him going. You'd never know coming into our church that Bud Bovenshin has buried four wives. Four wives. By the way, he's single. Anybody want to marry him? Uh, if he was here, I would kid like that with him. But uh, first one died in a car accident. Second one contracted cancer and passed away. He lost two different ones to cancer. And, the, and then the fourth one uh, had some physical complications tied to her diabetes and some other things. And ended up passing away. And, and you know what? I, I, I look at that, brother. And I can't even imagine. I can't. You know, you want to empathize with people and you kind of put yourself Okay, what would I feel like? And I don't even want to do that. I have a hard time even mentally going down the road to think what my life would be if, if my wife was gone. And yet this man has gone through that. You say, preacher, there's no way. Yeah, there's a way. Because whatever God asks you to face in life, His grace is going to match your need. And so, you know what? One of the things I want to report to you is this. Over the last year, I've gotten to experience a level of the grace of God that I have never experienced before. You know why? Because I didn't need it before. But I want to just encourage you. uh, Whatever you're going to face or whatever you are facing, God's grace is sufficient. And uh, it will be the first thing that shows up to help carry the bed. I like that song, He giveth more grace. You think about the words, When the burdens grow greater, He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy to multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When, now, I love this second verse. Think about this. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed there, the day is half done. When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, think about this, you know, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. And I certainly found that true. Well, that's the first person born of four, got me through this. Say, preacher, what's, so what's the second one? Introduce us to the second caretaker, the second helper. Let me just say this. The other thing that's helped carry me through the last year is the love of family. You know, folks, family's important. And I feel like we need to kind of trumpet this from the pulpit again in America. I just watch people having all kinds of things that are driving wedges between family members and family members feuding and family members getting along, not getting along. I'm watching older people who need help and care and being ignored, come on, I'm just going to say it, being ignored by their adult children because, you know, they're so busy and they're so so tied up into their own lives that they don't have time to care. I, I think we're becoming in a society that's looking at elderly people as throwaway people. And, and folks, listen to me, that's wrong. That is wrong. 
You know, one of the greatest honors of my life as a man has been all these years to care for my family, to be there when they needed help. You know, I don't care if it's the kids and the grandkids. You know, my mom and dad, while they were alive, uh, 12 years ago, we moved Cheryl's parents onto our property and put a little single wide over there and uh, right across the driveway so we could care for them. Her, her dad passed away a year and a half ago. Her 84-year-old mom still putters around over there in the single wide. And Cheryl goes over every morning and makes sure she keeps her medicine straight. Come on now. You say, well, preacher, that must have cost you some money. Well, let me remind you that when you were born, you cost your parents a lot of money. Well, isn't that an inconvenience? Well, you were an inconvenience, and I was an inconvenience at one time. And, and you know what? This is King James Holy Bible. Let me just remind you in 1 Timothy chapter 5, it says, Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn to show piety at home. Listen, Here's the phrase, and to requite their parents. Now, this is what God says, for that is good and acceptable before God. And I guess, you know what, I just want to say, thank God for family. Family's helped carry me through this. Thank God for three adult daughters that are married, and you know what, there's them and their spouses have come over and helped and helped pick up a corner of, 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 of during my weakness and during times I couldn't do some things that I normally would do. And, hey, let's take care of family. Let's just decide we're going to get back to, to taking care of family. You say, preacher, how important is this for, to requite our parents? How about, how about this one? But if, verse 8, but if any provide not for his own, and especially those of his own house. Now listen to this. I, this isn't Jerry Ross. I didn't make this up. King James Holy Bible. This is what it says. He hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. I don't know how you wiggle out of that, preacher. But you know what? Requite their parents. What does that mean? Well, (laughs) one grandmother sent this to her, uh, text this to her grown children. Don't give me a hard time when I ask you to help me figure out my cell phone. Remember, I taught every one of you how to use a spoon. I don't know why, but I enjoyed reading that. Amen. And what that, that's a kind of a humorous way to remind us what requite means. You know what? It simply means this. Your parents took care of you when you couldn't take care of yourself. And the Christian thing to do is to make sure that you take care of them. Family just ought to, come on, we ought to just watch out for each other. You don't always have to agree with everybody, but they're your family. And, you know, you ought to care for each other. One of the wonderful things about the age that me and my wife are, we've tried to be wise with our money. Trust me, you're not looking at a rich man. But we've tried to be wise with our money. And one of the things about being older and having some resources is that, you know what, it's been a wonderful thing to step in and help, help the girls from time to time. You know, think about it. I raised three daughters. And I heard this and I wrote it down. It said, I heard somebody say this, uh, if you have a son, you'll have him till he gets a wife. If you have a daughter, you'll have her for life. Amen. I'm glad those girls still call daddy. <laughs> I'm glad every once in a while they just, they, they have something I can do for them. And listen, why work hard? Why save your money? Why, why be a good steward? Why, so we can jet set around the world? So I can buy a big giant RV and travel America? No, you know why I, I've done it? So I could be in a position to 
help my family. Help my family to be a blessing to them. And you know, that's what we're supposed to do. Uh, and, and I may be, I may be setting, a, a, you know, staying on this point a bit long, but folks, I just feel like we need a revival of that. Um, you know what? Listen, you, you parents, use good wisdom. Of course, use good wisdom. Uh, but uh, I don't know if we just, I think we run our kids to the doctor too much. Matter of fact, we've got an epidemic in America of children becoming immune to antibiotics just because we think we need a pill every time they're sick. And my dad used to say this. He used to tell the young couples of Blessed Hope Baptist Church this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass it on. A generation back, he said, the best hospital is the home. The best nurse is a mother. The best healing place takes place on daddy or mama's lap. The best therapy might be the squeaking of a rocking chair and the humming of a grandmother. And folks, listen to me. You know, sometimes those sick times is what binds a child to his parents. And so, anyway, all right, if I went to meddling, I'm sorry, but I will tell you this. Now that I've had to lay on that bed of palsy, I just want to say this. Thank God for the grace of God. And I mean this with all my heart. Thank God for my, my biological family. But I'd be remiss not to say this too. Thank God for my church family. I'm going to tell you, I won't, I won't belabor the point, but again, you know what? Not only are we supposed to watch out for each other and our biological family, well, why do we have church if we don't have church for that reason? You know, watch out for each other, for each other, look out for each other, help each other. Somebody's going through a hard time, their church family needs to be there. And, and I'll tell you this, I was in and out of the pulpit, went through chemo, I've I'd miss three services. I always had chemo on Monday, and then I'd have to miss because of what it does to your immune system. Monday, Sunday, and the, I'm sorry, a Wednesday, Sunday, and a Wednesday. And then I'd be back in the pulpit for a Sunday, Wednesday, and a Sunday. And, and then I'd be out again. And, and I went through that cycle over and over again. And all I can say is I was so impressed and still just uh, want to thank God for the maturity that the members of Blessed Hope Baptist Church showed during that time. They rallied around, they stepped up, and they filled places of need, and they said, Preacher, don't worry about anything. We'll keep things going, you just get better. And folks, listen to me, that's the mature Christian way to respond to a crisis. And uh, anyway, praise God, the love of family showed up. Number three, the prayers of God's people. Amen. You know where to pray one for another. I enjoy just listening to your prayer requests there. As you listen to the different needs of the church and the extended family members of the church, and it's a wonderful thing to pray one for another. Romans 15:30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Boy, the Apostle Paul sure thanked God for people praying for him. Revelations 5, 8, when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb. Think about this. Having every one of them harps and golden vials full of the odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Listen, the prayers of the saints mean something to God. It's important in the presence of the throne of Almighty God. It's a part of the worship process that's happening before the throne of God right now. And so we certainly need to pray one for another. I got the sweetest letter. I've gotten two handwritten letters from Australia of all places. A young man 
16 years old, by the name of Jack, Jack Scobie, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Missionary family over in Australia. Never met the family. Never met the young man. And he had received my teenage years of Jesus Christ and the stay in the castle and had been influenced some by my writing. And here I get two handwritten letters about three weeks apart when I'm going through some of the darkest times. And if any of you have gone through the chemo and the radiation, you know, I, listen, I, I'm not going to play the martyr, but there, there are dark days. There are days that you just are trying to get through. And in the midst of that, I get these letters from this young man, 16 years old. And he thanked me for the books that I wrote and told me what an influence it had on his life. And he's had heard, I think, one of my, from what one of my daughters had posted on Facebook or somewhere about cancer. And he said, I went through cancer two years ago. I mean, here's a teenage boy. And he talked about uh, what he faced. And he talked about how God gave him grace. And, and here this boy on the other side of the world says, I want you to know that several times a day I go to my room and I kneel down and I pray for you. And folks, listen to me. I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's a, a kinder, better thing that you can do for another Christian than lift them up to the throne of grace, especially when they're laying on that bed of palsy and they need somebody to come up. Now think about that. Well, what's the last one, preacher, the last helper that came and helped you get to where you needed to get to? How about this? Hope for tomorrow. Hope for tomorrow. Folks, listen to me. The devil wants to steal your hope. And when you're going through a valley, when you're going through a big health crisis, or you're going through something, you know, horrific that's going on in your family or at work, or you're going through fine, I don't know what it is. But I'll tell you this, the devil... He takes those opportunities to try to sit on your shoulder and tell you how God doesn't love you and God doesn't care for you. And you might as well give up. You know, I, I think it was God's timing, preacher, but I landed up at Brother Israel Warren's, you know, in St. Mary's. And the day that I landed there, uh, they had found a 16-year-old boy behind the, the public school there that had hung himself on playground equipment. Those of you that have done some of the village ministries, you know that this is an epidemic up there. And, uh, you know, I, I landed there, and uh, he was telling me about it. He said, we're going to be a little tied up with this situation. I brought, brother, I'm a, do whatever you need to do, and let me come if, if you feel I can. And, uh, you know, I, I loved watching the Warrens minister to this family you know, they have to ship the body. All this stuff's new to me, okay? But they had to ship the body down to Anchorage for the coroner to, um, I guess, make sure that there was no foul play and there was a suicide. And the family has to pay for this. And then they have to be flown back. And they're waiting three days to get the body back. When they, after three days, they make a little pallet on the floor. I'm telling you this because I stood there. And uh, they made a little pallet on the floor. I mean, on the floor of the living room of the house. And uh, they lay this 16-year-old boy out, and they've got metal chairs all around it. And Brother Israel kind of told me what to expect, and we went over to the house and uh, had prayer with the family. Now, folks, you, you think about the place you have to get to, the hopelessness you have to feel to take your own life. And that's exactly where the devil would like to get every single one of us. And you know what? The devil, 
He wants to steal your hope. But you know what? God always gives us hope. You know, Romans chapter 5, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. By the way, hope means an excited expectation and an expected anticipation. It goes on to say this, not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Listen, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience, experience, and experience what? Hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. You know what? Let me just remind you, if you're still here, God has you here for a reason. You say, well, I feel like God's done with me. Well, I can tell you whether he is or not. Go get a mirror, hold it in front of your face, and go, ah. And if it fogs up, God's not done with you yet, okay? And uh, yet, you know what, sometimes God wants to, or the devil wants to sit on our shoulder and tell us, you know, well, God's done with you, and you have no purpose, and there's no reason for you to be here. And, and folks, that's a lie. Did, do you know the devil's a liar? The Bible says he's a liar, and he'll come and lie to you and lie to me and get us to believe it sometimes. And you know what, say, preacher, what helped you when you're on that bed of palsy going through some of these difficult stretches, you know. I thought, well, you know what? There's always hope for tomorrow. Today's a bad day, but maybe it'll be better tomorrow. Come on. Think about it. Don't let the devil steal your hope for tomorrow. Don't let the devil take you a place of despair. I knelt beside that mother and she sat in a chair at the feet of her child and I, man, what do you say, preacher? What do you say? So I knelt beside her and I said, I didn't get a chance to uh, meet uh, your son. Tell me about him. Tell me about your best memories. And that mom took about 10 minutes and told me everything about him and all the sweet things and so encouraging. And I just listened. Did you, did you hear me? I just listened. You know, folks, listen. Sometimes you just need to be there. Just be there. Preacher, I don't know what to say. Just walk in the door. Just kneel down and say, I love you and I'm praying for you. You don't have to have perfect words. You were there. And that helps them give hope. After she got done talking to me, we prayed with them. And then she reached over and patted my shoulder several, several times like this. And she said, you can come back anytime you want. <laughs> you know what ministry really is a lot of times? Ministry is just going to people that are in a hopeless situation and trying to remind them that there's hope in Christ. That, that God is a God of hope. That, you know what? Hey, you're going to get through this. And the sun's going to come up tomorrow, and God's not done with you yet. And so I would lay sometimes in the hospital during the worst days, and I'd think to myself, you know what, maybe there's a couple more books that need to be written. And you know what, there's a couple more teen conferences, maybe that they need an old grouchy preacher to come to and <laughs> preach. Maybe there's a few souls that need to be saved. You know what, maybe... Uh, Maybe God's not quite done yet. Folks, listen to me. Don't let the devil steal your hope. If you're here, then God has something for you. And so, you know how I made it through those days? You know how you can make it through those days? Uh, the grace of God will show up. Come on, family. Let's not drop our corner of the bed. The love of family should show up. You know what? The prayers of God's people. Thank you for being a praying church. 
and the hope, the hope for tomorrow. Those things will carry you through. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your kindness and your goodness to us. Uh, Lord, it's sweet to be on the mountaintop, and, but Lord, it's necessary sometimes to be in the valley. And Lord, I, I'd rather carry a bed than I would be carried on a bed. But Lord, there's lessons to be learned in both places. And so, Lord, I pray for that one or two or more that's here tonight. And they're going through it. And the devil maybe has kind of found a place in their life and is whispering lies to them. And I pray, dear God, that they would not allow the devil to take them to a place of despair. Uh, that they would realize that there's hope in God. And uh, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity, dear Lord, to bring this message. And thank you for all the grace that you've bestowed upon this preacher in the last 12 months. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All four of those helpers are available for us. God's grace, which certainly is sufficient. Just like Paul found out, boy, it certainly is. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever you're going through, God's grace is sufficient. And boy, family, wow. That, I'm glad you hit on that, brother. That was excellent. did a great job with that. And the prayers that we need from each other, lifting each other up. And then, of course, the power of hope. Such a powerful emotion that God has given us. The devil would love to push you across that line to that point of despair. And, uh, but there is hope in God. There always is. Now, let me, ask, let me ask this tonight. If you were to die right now, where would you go? What would happen if you were to die right now? Do you know where you're going? Before we go into this time of invitation to pray, I want you to think about that question. Because listen to me, when you die, you will stand before, a day will come when you will stand before Almighty God in judgment. It is appointed in once to die, but after this, the judgment. When you stand before Him in judgment, He is going to judge you based upon His law. And the problem is this, you've broken His law just like I have. And every single person found guilty is cast into a lake of fire. That leaves us all in a pretty bad mess, doesn't it? Because the truth is, every single one of us are guilty. We've all broken God's law. God's not going to look at you and say, you've basically been a good person. That's a lie. You've broken His law. He's going to judge you. And 100% of those are cast into the lake of fire. Do you understand? That is the reason why God became a man 2,000 years ago to save you from that judgment. God became a man and lived a perfect life in your place. He is the only man, God as a man, could go to that judgment and the Father could say, you're innocent. You're in, he's it. No one else has ever done that. He's the only one. But he lived that life for you. You see, when he went to the cross, God placed upon him all of your guilt, your sin, as if he was the transgressor. And then he also offers you his perfect life. The, Bible's, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us. God the Father made the Son to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When we say he died for you, what we mean is this, is that on that cross, God the Father judged him in your place to satisfy justice. So that he could give you that perfect life. If you'll come to him in that repentance and faith, he'll save you. He'll save you right there. 
with heads bowed and eyes closed. Just a couple of questions tonight before we come and pray. Is First off, is there anyone here that say, Pastor McGovern, I'm not certain that heaven is my home. I don't know what would happen to me if I were to die. I just don't know. I want you to pray for me. Would you just put your hand up where I could see it? I won't call you out. Anybody here like that right now, please just slip your hand up and let me see it. I see some small children is all I'm seeing. If you did put your hand up, I missed it. Please, I would need you to do that again for me. All right, Christian. Those four things are available for all of us. God's grace is, is sufficient. Sometimes it's a matter of taking your eyes off of the storm and putting them back on God. If you need to come and pray this evening, you come and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. Lord, please bless this invitation, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Turn to page 214. And if you need to come and pray this evening, you come and pray.